Chapter Six of the Star Chamber: An Historical Romance, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume One, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter Six: Provocation. A momentary pause ensued, during which Montchensey regarded the knight so fiercely that the latter began to entertain apprehensions for his personal safety and meditated a precipitate retreat. Yet he did not dare to move, lest the action should bring upon him the hurt he wished to avoid. Thus he remained, like a bird fascinated by the rattlesnake, until the young man, whose power of speech seemed taken from him by passion, went on in a tone of deep and concentrated rage that communicated a hissing sound to his words. "'Yes, I am Jocelyn Monchensey,' he said. The son of him who your arts and those of your partner in iniquity, Sir Giles Mompasson, brought to destruction. The son of him whom you despoiled of a good name and large estates, and cast into a loathsome prison to languish and to die. I am the son of that murdered man. I am he whom you have robbed of his inheritance, whose proud escutcheon you have tarnished, whose family you have reduced to beggary and utter ruin. But Sir Jocelyn, my worthy friend, the knight faltered, have patience, I pray of you. If you consider yourself aggrieved, I am willing to make reparation, ample reparation. You know what were my intentions towards you before I had the slightest notion of who you might be. If I had been but aware of it, he thought, I would have taken care to keep at a respectful distance from him. I will do more than I promised. I will lend you any sums of money you may require, and on your personal security. Your bare word shall suffice. No bonds, no written obligations of any kind. Does that sound like usury? As I am a true gentleman, I am most unfairly judged. I am not the extortioner men describe me. You shall find me your friend, he added in a low earnest tone. I will re-establish your fortune, give you a new title, higher and prouder than that which you have lost. And if you will follow my counsel, you shall supplant the haughty favorite himself. You shall stand where Buckingham now stands. Hear reason, good Sir Jocelyn. Hear reason, I entreat you. "'I will hear nothing further,' Jocelyn rejoined. "'Were you to talk till doomsday, "'you could not alter my feelings towards you a jot. "'My chief errand in coming to London "'was to call you and Sir Giles Mompasson "'to strict account. "'And we will answer any charges "'you may bring against us readily, "'most readily, Sir Jocelyn. "'All was done in fairness. "'According to the law, "'the Star Chamber will uphold us.' "'Tut! "'You think you terrify me with that bugbear, "'but I am not so easily frightened.' We have met for the first time by chance, but our next meeting shall be by appointment. When and where you please, Sir Jocelyn, the knight replied, but recollect the duello is forbidden, and though I would not willingly disappoint you in your desire to cut my throat, I should be sorry to think you might be hanged for it afterwards. Come, Sir Jocelyn, lay aside this idle passion and look to your true interests, which lie not in quarrelling with me, but in our reconciliation. I can help you effectually, as I have shown, and, as I am a true gentleman, I will help you. Give me your hand and let us be friends. Never, Jocelyn exclaimed, withdrawing from him, never shall the hand of a munchen say grasp yours in friendship. I would sooner mine rot it off. I am your mortal foe. My father's death has to be avenged. Provoke him not, my good young sir, interposed an elderly man next him in a long furred gown with hanging sleeves and a flat cap on his head who had heard what was now passing you know not the mischief he may do you 
I laugh at his malice and defy him, Jocelyn cried. He shall not sit one moment longer beside me. Out, knave, out, he added, seizing Sir Francis by the wing of his doublet and forcibly thrusting him from his seat. You are not fit company for honest men. Ho, varlets, to the door with him. Throw him into the kennel. You shall rue this villain. You shall rue it bitterly, Sir Francis cried, shaking his clenched hands at him. Your father perished like a dog in the fleet, and you shall perish there likewise. You have put yourself wholly in my power, and I will make a fearful example of you. You have dared to utter scandalous and contemptuous language against the great and high court of Star Chamber, before the decrees of which all men bow, impugning its justice and denying its authority, and you shall feel the full weight of its displeasure. I call upon these worthy gentlemen to testify against you. We have heard nothing and can testify nothing, several voices cried. But you, sir, who were next him, you must have heard him, Sir Francis said, addressing the elderly man in the furred gown. Not I, rejoined the person appealed to. I gave no heed to what was said. But I did, Sir Francis, squeaked the little way-faced man in a large rough and tight-laced yellow doublet from the opposite side of the table. I heard him most audaciously vilipend the high court of star chamber and its councils, and I will bear testimony against him when called upon. Your name, good sir, your name? Sir Francis demanded, taking out his tablets. Set me down as Thopas Trednock, tailor, at the sign of the pressing iron in Cornhill, the way-faced man replied, in his shrill tones, amid the derisive laughter of the assemblage. Thopas Trednock, tailor, good, the knight replied, as he wrote the name down. You will be an excellent witness, Master Trednock. Fare you well for the present Master Jocelyn Monchensey, for I now mind well your father was degraded from the honor of knighthood. As I am a true gentleman, you may be sure of committal to the fleet. As may be supposed, the scuffle which had taken place attracted the attention of those in its immediate vicinity, and when the cause of it became known, as it presently did throughout both tables, great indignation was expressed against Sir Francis, who was censured on all hands, jeered and flouted as he moved to the door so great was the clamor and so opprobrious were the epithets and terms applied to him that the knight was eager to make his escape but he met cyprian in his way and the droll young gascon holding a dish cover in one hand by way of buckler and a long carving knife in the other in place of a sword opposed his egress let me pass knave sir francis cried in alarm by your leave no returned cyprian encouraged by the laughter and plaudits of the company you have come hither uninvited and must stay till you have permission to depart having partaken of the banquet you must perforce tarry for the rare banquet the sweets and cates have yet to come sir francis what do you mean sirrah the knight demanded in increased trepidation your presence is necessary at a little entertainment i have provided to follow the dinner sweet sir francis madame bonaventure cried advancing towards him and as you have a principal part in it, I can by no means spare you. No one can spare you, sweet Sir Francis, several voices chimed in derisively. You must remain with us a little longer. But I will not stay. I will not be detained. There is some conspiracy afoot against me. I will indict you all for it if you hinder me in going forth, the knight vociferated, in accents of mingled rage and terror. Stop me at your peril, thou saucy Gascon knave. Cornet du diable, no more a knave than yourself, gros usarier, Cyprion cried. Laissez-louis, Cyprion, Madame Bonaventure interposed. The courteous knight will yield to my entreaties and stay of his own free will. 
I have business that calls me hence. I must go, Sir Francis said, endeavoring to push by them. Let the door be closed, an authoritative voice cried from the head of the table. The order was instantly obeyed. Two serving men stationed themselves before the place of exit, and Sir Francis found himself a prisoner. The roof rang with the laughter and jibes of the guests. This is a frolic, gentlemen, I perceive. You are resolved to make me your sport. Ha! Ha! Sir Francis said, trying to disguise his uneasiness under an appearance of levity. But you will not carry the jest too far. You will not maltreat me. My partner, Sir Giles Mompasson, will be here anon, and will requite any outrage committed upon me. Sir Giles is impatiently expected by us, a spruce coxcomb near him replied. Madame Bonaventure had prepared us for his coming. We will give him the welcome he deserves. Ah, traitress! Then it was all planned, Sir Francis thought. And blind owl that I am, I have fallen into the snare. But the poor knight was nearly at his wit's end with fright when he saw Lord Ruse quit his place at the upper table and approach him. End of chapter 6